the Galatians on their attitude toward him at this point, where they have now considered him, even though they loved him at one point and cared for him and was even willing, he says, that you would pluck out your eyes to give them to me. Uh, they now see him as a, an enemy, a uh, person that they didn't want to be around or didn't want to uh, be with them. You remember Paul is writing this as a letter, and we're going to see in part of this that uh, these, you know, we write letters, and sometimes letters don't come out the way they seem, do they? But we started here in verse 17, and we'll read to verse 21, and then we'll go on. He says, they zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected, always in a good thing, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you, I desire to be present with you now and to change my voice, for I stand in doubt of you. Tell me. Ye that desire to be under the law, do you hear the law? Paul continues his, his argument or his uh, letter with them and now gives a characterization of those who have turned their, uh, changed the Galatians' mind, those uh, Judaizers that have come in and, and tried to uh, uh, change their mind and get them back into the old ways. He says, they zealously affect you. Zealous means to be, in some cases, jealousy. Uh, it also is a great energy or enthusiasm. And in this passage, the enthusiasm is what we're looking at. They were enthusiastic to affect the Galatians. The effect, word affect means to seek out, to um, uh, change, to... Uh, uh, in some cases, have a warm affection for them. Paul says they are, they're seeking you out, they're trying to get you to change, but more likely they're, they're affecting you. They're, they want you to think of them as uh, wonderful people. Uh, they want you to uh, see them as the, uh, the good guys and not as the bad guys. He says they zealously affect you. They they zealously seek you out, but for not good. They seek out the Galatians for their own wrong agenda, which is what Paul is trying to tell them. He says that it's not for good, it's not for well. He says they're trying to make you proselytes. You know what a proselyte is? It's someone who uh, is being converted. Um, to make a convert to a different religion or some religion. Uh, before you got saved, someone was talking to you, you would be considered a proselyte. If they got you to convert, when you got saved, you were no longer pro proselyte. You were now a child of God or whatever the religion you were affected with. Okay, But the Judaizers were trying to convince the Galatians, and, and Paul is saying that they're being very zealously at it. They're being very enthusiastic. You ever had any um, uh, Jehovah's Witness or Mormons come to your door? They are very zealous at doing their job. They're very enthusiastic at it. I, I get to thinking about ball games. 
You ever, you ever go to a ball game or, or a, you know, some kind of sports event, and, you know, sometimes you'll see these, these guys are half naked and they got their body painted up in team colors, you know, and they're yelling and screaming. and They're enthusiastic. They're zealous about what they believe in. And he says that's what these Judaizers were doing. They're very jealous to affect you or to seek you out and to change your minds. They, they gave the effect that they cared about these Galatians. But Paul says, but it wasn't for the good. He says, as a matter of fact, he said, but you, they would exclude you. And what his main meaning of that exclusion is, keeping him away from those who were teaching the truth. These Judaizers were getting in with these Galatians and they were teaching them these things that were not right, that were opposite of what Paul had already been teaching them, and they were very zealous about it, and they were excluding They were trying to keep them away from the New Testament church. They were trying to keep them away from Paul. They were trying to keep them away from Christ, is what he's saying here. They, they, they shut you out. They were excluding you or shutting you out from him and from Christ that ye might affect them. The, the, the idea is that these people were going after these, these Galatians uh, zealously, getting them to change their mind and go their way so that they would look at them and say, oh, these are the good guys. Paul is the bad guy. We need to go with these. So we need to seek them out. We need to be uh, uh, friends with them. This is what Paul was telling them. He was trying to explain to them that the Judaizers were not for their good. They were not doing what they were doing for those Galatians' good. Kind of listening to Joe Osteen or somebody. Joe Osteen doesn't care a thing about anybody's soul. He cares about that pocket, that wallet. That's all he cares about. He may tell you he does, but he doesn't. Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, it's good to be zealous. It's good to be zealous and, and seeking out. But he says, seek out the good stuff. He says, when I'm with you, you're always zealous to, to be uh, the person that I want to see you. It's, it's like us coming in to church uh, in this meeting house, and we come in and we're, yes. God, yes, praise God, and we raise our hand, and we say amen, and we're all zealous and enthusiastic to be here and to hear the word. But when the pastor's not here or he's not around, are we that same zealous? Are we that outside the church? Are we acting that way when we're not around other Christians? This is what Paul's saying. It's good to be zealous and affected and seeking out the good things, but not just when he's around, but all the time. He said we need to be that zealously affected, be seeking out the truth, the good stuff, even when we're not around anybody else. Because when we get in privacy, we kind of just go our own way, don't we? We have, we have that tendency to do that. But Paul was, verse 18 was basically some fatherly advice uh, Paul was given to them just to say, it's okay to be zealous affected. It's okay to be zealously seeking out the truth or the good stuff in life. 
But he says, not just when you're around the Christians, not just when you're with people of the, your own denomination or your, you know, your own uh, beliefs, but all the time, not even when he was around. He goes on to verse 19, and he says, my little children. And he calls them his little children because, just like in the other uh, parts of the Bible where he talks about people that he has led to Christ, that he has taught, that he has had uh, preached to, uh, they're, they're like his little children. He, he birthed them. He, he gave them the truth, and they got saved. They became a new life there. And so the, his, his example is calling them a, my little children and then saying, whom I travail in birth. He given the example of a mother in birthing time, okay? She, the pain, the anguish, all the things you women go through. Us men don't know nothing about that, okay? But all the things that you go to, Paul says that I treat you as if I'm going through birth. He, he wants to bring that. Uh, someone once said, uh, says here, he says, Paul calls them his little children. As a mother goes through labor to deliver a child for full term, uh, she travails in that delivery, and so that child is a full-term baby. Paul continued to travail or labor over them until they had reached their spiritual maturity. This is what he's trying to say. He said, I was just like a mother giving birth. The pain, the agony, the care I had to take until you were at that point that you were spiritually mature, that God had formed in you, that Christ was now in your spirit. He says, I desire to be present with you now to change my voice. Here we get to the point, Paul's writing this letter, and I don't know if you've ever done it, but when you write a letter to somebody, and you're, whether it's to your children, whether it's to your wife or your husband, if you're gone from them or something, sometimes a letter can come off harsh, depending on what you're saying. It can come off uh, um, uh, scolding, you know. Uh, I, I, when I was in the Army, I would write some letters back home to some friends of mine. And I'd heard, you know, they were going through this or what. And I thought, well, some of them, you know, I guess they took my letter wrong, what I was trying to tell them. Because when I got home to go visit them, they didn't have nothing to do with me. <laughs> so they, that was it. But Paul says in here, he's, he says, I desire to be present with you so I could change my voice in the sense that he's assuming that they are probably taking his letter as a scolding or harsh letter to him, which he is in a sense because he has this uh, compassion for them, this care for them, and he sees that they're going in the wrong direction. If, if you see your child doing something that you know is going to hurt them, what are you going to do? You know, if, if Haley uh, started to do something that was, uh, you know, going to hurt her, the first thing I'd do is yell out her name, right? And it would have a tone to it that there would be anger, but there'd be scaredness in it too. And, you, you know, you're just, oh, no, you know. Well, Paul's attitude is this. He's, he's scared that these people are turning the wrong way. They're going the opposite direction than they should be. 
And he's assuming that they're reading this letter, they're probably getting their own sense of his attitude. They probably think that he's being scolding to him or harsh against them. He said, I want to be present with you. When you can talk to somebody face to face, you can see their emotions, and they can see yours. So you can kind of get a better uh, attitude toward them, or they can see that attitude, okay? In a letter, I could read a letter, well, that, look out what he's saying to me, all that way he's talking to me in that. But when they're talking to them, we can see their emotions in their faces. We can see the emotions that they have for each other, right? And that's what Paul is saying. He said, I wish I could be with you, be present, so I could change my voice. I could change the way that my speech is coming out of this letter. For I stand in doubt of you. There's his, his uh, doubt that he, they're understanding what he's saying. Okay? They're not reading his letter correctly. Or they're getting the wrong attitude from it. Or the wrong sense of it. He says, then he says, Tell me, ye that desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? Do you not understand what the law is telling you? That's what he's going to He's been dealing with the law throughout the entire book of Galatians so far, this letter. And he, he keeps telling, he keeps going back to the law because that's what they're turning back to. They're trying to go back to that old way of following the, the Mosaic laws and the traditions of the Jewish people and, and all that. And he said, don't you hear it? Aren't you understanding the law? And apparently they didn't because they were listening to these Judaizers. He goes into verse 22 to 31 is an allegory. And one theologian says that allegories are not good. It, unless you really understand what you're talking about. Martin Luther says that an allegory is probably the worst thing you can do when preaching unless you truly understand where that's coming from. Paul knew all that. Paul goes through allegories all over the place. He is, he's an expert at it. And the reason why some theologians think that is between the 6th to 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church, church, their Bible that they created, which was not anything like the King James or anything close to it, the Bible they used was all allegory. Instead of Christ being born of a virgin, they would have taught the people in Latin back then that uh, Christ was born of a little girl and they would try to put it into an allegory, which is a, basically a story, to make it sound better. And so that's what they would do. And, and a lot of theologians won't use allegories. But Paul uses an allegory here because he wants to get his point across. And he, he was very good at doing this. He says in verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons. The one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. Now we know all this in Genesis sixteen fifteen and sixteen twenty or Genesis twenty one tells the story of Hagar and Sarah and Ishmael and Isaac. And so we know that story, right? Uh, Sarah couldn't have children, so 
she told uh, Abraham, go into her handmaid, have a child with her. And that child was born of that bondmaid, or that bondservant, that bondwoman. And so then later on, when Sarah got to be 99 years old, she had a child, which was the heir of Abraham's, Abraham's seed to her. She is the free woman. Now he uses this allegory, he begins that Abraham had two sons, one by a bondwoman and one by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. He was born in sin. When Abraham took his handmaid and had a child with her, it was sin. It was not appointed by God to do so. But he of the free woman was by promise. Isaac was promised to Abraham. Ishmael was not. He was done by the flesh. He said, which things are an allegory? He says it right here. He said, this is an allegory. For there are two covenants, the one from the Mount Sinai, which gendered to bondage, which is Agar or Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to Jerusalem, which is now is and is in bondage to her children. His allegory here is that Hagar represents Jerusalem here on earth. A flesh, sinful, um, not promised, it's of the flesh. She was to be, she's under the covenant of the Old Testament. You know, she's under the Mosaic law. He, this, this bondwoman uh, is the uh, Mosaic law, as he's trying to say. In this allegory, I hope I can get this explained to you like it, like it should be. But there's two covenants. There's the old covenant of the, the uh, laws, of the old co uh, Jewish laws of the Old Testament. And then there's the new covenant which Christ made with Abraham, which is the prophetic or prophetic uh, coming of Christ. But he said there's two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses got what? The laws. So that's her. Which gendered to bondage. The laws put you in bondage. He's been saying that all through Galatians. He says it here in an allegory. He's putting it together so that we uh, get it a little better understanding. And he says that law, that covenant, is with Hagar. She is a sinful city on this earth, which is Jerusalem. And he says, for this Agar, this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, which is the land at that time was Jerusalem the city. And it is in bondage with her children. Ishmael and Isaac never got along. They never did. Ishmael became who? All the pagans. Okay? Isaac became who? Israel. Okay? So he's saying, he's given this allegory that the law that came out of Sinai, which Moses brought down from the mountain, is basically that covenant that Hagar, he's representing Hagar as that, that uh, fleshly, uh, sinful Jerusalem on earth. Okay? And that law that law that binds you, that, that law that keeps you in slavery. 
Amen. And with her children. But, he says, Jerusalem, which is above, is free. What Jerusalem is he talking about? The new Jerusalem. He's talking about heaven. That new Jerusalem, or that Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. So, he's saying that Sarah represents the new covenant under Christ and the new Jerusalem. She's free. She's not a bond slave. He said that Jerusalem which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Sarah was the mother of all Israel. Okay? She's also the mother of all born-again Christians because she was married to Abraham. Abraham was given the promise, remember? Okay? Goes on to say, for it is written, and here he uh, brings out uh, Isaiah 54, uh, verse 1. He says, Rejoice thou, barren, that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate have many more children than she which has a husband. Basically, he's putting Sarah and saying that there are more pagans, more unsaved people out here than there are Christians. There are more that fall under the uh, law, the old Jerusalem, the, the sinful Jerusalem, the covenants of the Old Testament, the, the laws of Moses, than there are that are with the covenant of Christ. There's more unsaved out there than there are Christians. I don't know what the, the estimate is now. A few years ago, it was believed that there was something like 1.1 billion Christians within the whole world. Well, there's what? 20 billion people in the whole world? Something like that? I don't know. Whatever the statistics are, we, were, we are the minority in this world. But he puts these together. He says that that uh, Hagar and her children from Ishmael is that sinful Jerusalem. And that Sarah and her children coming from Abraham, which was promised to Abraham, is the heavenly Jerusalem. It says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. Isaac was that child of promise. God promised Abraham and Sarah that he would, they would have a child. They didn't want to wait on God, so he went into the handmaid, and a fleshly child was born, Ishmael. Ishmael was born. The coming judgment. This is a, pro, back in, uh, Isaiah 54 gives a, uh, a judgment upon that. And uh, the blessed seed of the promise, um, there are more of the bondwoman children than there are of Christ's blessed children, some theologian wrote. So he says here, we are brethren, we are Isaac. We are the children of promise. Verse 29, he says, but as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born of the spirit. He's given the example of Ishmael and Isaac. Uh, if you go back and look into uh, Genesis 21.9, it says that Ishmael mocked Isaac. Uh, the idea of that, that mock goes a little bit further than just saying, oh, you know, making a joke about him or saying something bad about him. 
it goes on to point, point out that the Jewish tradition says that Ishmael even shot arrows at Isaac, tried to kill him. But he was persecuted by Ishmael, even through his own, as he got older. Ishmael did not like Isaac and his descendants. His family, his descendants kept trying to persecute Isaac's descendants. It went on through the whole uh, history. But he says, as then he that was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the spirit. And he says, Paul says, even so it is now. Paul didn't know when he wrote that, even though it is now, even today. Okay, even today, Christians are persecuted. Uh, maybe not like they did back then. They're not coming around and, and you know, hanging us off trees and, and, you know, burn us on the stake and all that now, but we're still persecuted. They are still coming out saying, oh, you Christians, you, do, you Christians, you don't know this, and you, you're causing all these problems. You know, the, the, the generation that's coming up now, or let me put it this way, the woke generation of now are basically coming out and blaming us for all the world's problems. Because we believe in God. Because we want to do things that are right. But they don't want to do that, what's right. They want to do what's in their own mind. God says in Romans that he gave them over to their own mind, their own deformed ideas. Verse 29, he said that he was persecuted that which was born of the Spirit, Isaac. Even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the scriptures? And again, he goes back to Genesis 21. Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir to the son of the free woman. When God decides it's time, he's going to come down to earth. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take all the Christians out. What's he going to do with the unchristians? What's he going to do with the unsaved? He's going to cast them out. He said he's going to cast out that bondwoman and her son. Remember what Abraham did when Sarah got tired of listening to Hagar think she was something? She went to Abraham and said, I can't do nothing with her. You're going to have to do something. Abraham said, she's your bondmaid. Do what you wish. So she kicked her out. Now God made a promise to Ishmael that he would make him a great nation. But that great nation was in power, not in blessings. He made him a great nation in, in power and in, in, in size. But to Isaac, the, the son born of the free woman, Sarah, he made a promise that he would be heir to the kingdom. And we follow in that. If we're by grace, through faith, that we believe in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, the gospel that God has set forth, if we believe in that, we're, we're, with, that, we're with that free woman. We're part of that, that Abraham. He says that back in, in chapter 3. We are the heirs through Abraham spiritually. And, and he's saying it again here. He wants to make you understand what is going on here, that those who are unsaved are children of that bondservant. And they going to, they're going to be cast out. They're going to be sent out away from everything else. 
they will not inherit anything unless they change. So then, brethren, he said, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We do not see Hagar and Ishmael as our descendants, or our ancestor, ancestors. Okay? We are of Sarah and Abraham. We are of the promise. But he makes this allegory to get them to understand that they probably understood it better than we do back then. But he makes that, that, that allegory of Jerusalem here on earth is sinful because it's man's. And that, those men, that, that family, that group of people that come from Hagar and, and Ishmael are the flesh. They're the sinful ones. And they are uh, associated with Jerusalem, the Jewish laws that he's been talking about. That's what, he, that's what he's trying to get them to understand. If you're going back to that old Jerusalem, that fleshly Jerusalem, that law, you're going back to Ishmael. You're going back to live as he did. And, and you'll, you'll get that whole idea of, of who you are now. But he says you're not that. He says you've come to Christ. You, you believe. You believe on the Son of God as the Savior. You are now converted to him. You're his sons. You're his heirs. You're not part of that bond woman. You're part of that free woman. And that's one of the things that we've got to understand too. And, and sometimes we get in our ideas. Something comes down, that, you know, we get into a situation or we have family problems or job problems or whatever it might be. And sometimes we realize, oh, you know what? It'd probably be easier just to go back the way it was and not have any worries. But you ever thought that maybe they do have worries? I always thought to myself, I said, you know, just to leave all this behind and just live the life I used to live. I didn't care about anything. I didn't, I didn't worry about my bills. Well, if I don't pay them, I don't pay them. I'll pay them next week, you know. No big deal. But now I do. Because the things that I do, I do because of God. God says to be this way. Pay your debts. Uh, uh, talk to people nicely. Uh, 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 do these things that are, are God-honoring. Those ways that we lived before we were saved, before Christ came into our hearts and, and changed us, those ways don't work no more. I, I always think I, every once in a while you'll, you, uh, you'll see somebody that's had a few too many. We were down to the beach couple weeks ago and we'd sit on a balcony and they had a ball tournament going on, a little league ball tournament going on there in Myrtle Beach. And the hotel next to us, we could see down into their back patio, you know, like the pool and everything. And I sat up there one night and all these coaches, fathers and coaches, were sitting around on this this big couch thing they had outside. And they're all sitting there with their big long neck bottles and their cans and they're drinking, and they're talking baseball. At first, it starts out, you know, you sit there and listen to them, it starts out, yeah, so-and-so did good today. Yeah, your team was really good today. And, you know, they were complimenting each other and doing all this. After about two hours of listening to them, 
the conversations got into politics. It got into talking about other people's family members. Oh, how this kid needs more practice on this, or this, you know, you know, you need to stay out of this, and you need to quit being such a harsh coach, and and it started getting heated, you know, and I'm sitting there and I'm watching. I remember those times. I remember when I was younger and I was unsaved, and I'd be hanging around with my buddies in the barracks. We'd be sitting in the common room, you know, watching TV or something, and we'd be drinking away and you know I now look at that and I'm thinking how did I even survive the night I couldn't do it I mean it just it just doesn't work anymore but we can't go back to that old life because it would be worse than we we are now even if we had all the problems in the world going on in our families and in our life to go back to that we still have them they're not going to stop just because we go back to living like the world. We still have all those problems. But as children of Christ, we can deal with them better. We, we, can, we can have a better handle on what goes on and how to handle those things. But anyway, Paul gets into this allegory and he explains that you know we are not of Ishmael. We are of the free woman. We are of Sarah. We are of the... Uh, the Jerusalem in heaven. We're of the spiritual Jerusalem. And we can't go back. We just can't do it. But his whole point of, of getting them to understand even more than what he had been talking about, that those laws of the fleshly Jerusalem, Ishmael, all the things that are wrong, the, the human side of it, we're not part of anymore. He said, we are part of that heavenly Jerusalem. And that's where we need to keep our mindset, is that no matter what goes on in our lives, when this life is over for us, we're going to our reward. We're going to see Christ. We're going to see God. We're going to see those loved ones that went on before us. I got told Brent one time, I got a, I got a grandfather, great, 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 grand, yeah, two great grandfathers, that my dad knew, but I didn't know, because they had died when, when he was just a teenager. But he knew them, and one of them was a preacher. And he said you, he, would, he would preach all day long, and then in the afternoons come home and have all his grandchildren on the front porch with him and would be teaching them Bible. I'd like to meet that guy. <laughs> you know, I think that would, be, that would be something. But when this life is over, that's where we're going. We don't, we don't have any worries about, you know, uh, hell. You know, pastor said it once before, and I've always told my Sunday school class, it's harder for a Christian to live in this world than it is an unsaved because they don't have to care. We do. We care about what goes on and how we act and how we do things, not to the point that it worries us to it, but that we handle it differently. You know, I always thought, man, I'd love to hit the million-dollar jackpot. You know, all the things I could buy, all the things I could do with it, give half of it to the church and this and that. But you know what? I wouldn't have been happy because then I'd be worried about, well, let's see, I've got to pay taxes on it. I've got to pay this. i got to pay, you know, it wouldn't work. 
but we handle things differently because we're Christ and because we are in Christ. Any questions? Any comments? Richard. Yeah, it, it's it's. Yeah, and that's what he was trying to show that those those human laws that the Jew, Jerusalem or the Jews had, that these people were trying to turn back to, the Judaizers were trying to get them to turn back to, is basically fleshly men's doing. But the laws that Abraham was promised, the new covenant with Christ, and the, and, and the new Jerusalem, which is in heaven, you know, that's not flesh. That's spiritual. That's God doing. you have something, Richard? Yeah. Yeah. Those people that are living an unsaved life, God is dealing with them. You know, if if they sit around and think, man, am I going to go to hell? Am I going? You know what? The Spirit's dealing with them. He's letting them know you don't have to, but they're not listening. And when they do hear the gospel, that power that God gives that gospel of his, his word, that's what's going to change them. And, you know, to go back, and let's say we're saved, and we go back to living that old life. Then we have to question ourselves, did I truly get saved? If I got saved, and I'm living this Christian life, and all of a sudden one day I just give it up and go back to the old ways, I have to question whether I was doing that in myself, in works, or was it truly salvation? And, and uh, you know, a lot of un- non-Christians, un- unsaved people, they, d- they don't think about hell. A lot do, but they d- none of them don't. You know, I, I remember an old saying that some people used to say, and I probably said it a few times when I was unsaved too, Somebody would say something, I said, well, you know, where are you going? Probably to hell, you know. That's all right. We'll just party all the time and have a good time there. You know? But once you realize that's not what hell is about, hell is torment, you realize, well, maybe, maybe, maybe I don't want that, you know. You know, I mean, it's, it's our attitude as Christians, you know, we sin. There's, there's no doubt about that, you know. But we have that mediator that will forgive us. The unsaved, they're sinning all the time anyway. They're sinning the moment they wake up because they've already rejected Christ. That's a sin. Okay? And so, you're, you're, you're right. They worry about it, but most of them don't. They just go on about their lives. Do you ever think, <laughs> I might step on some toes here, you ever think if, if Biden ever thinks about going to hell? He might want to. And that's one of the reasons we, we, 
we pray for them, and I do pray for them. God, do whatever you got to do to him. Okay, you know, that's, that's it. I, I just don't have that feeling for some people. I, I wish I could. I mean, I, I wish I could have a, a spirit to just love everybody and pray for everybody. But there are just some people out in the world you just, I, I'm sorry, I just can't, I just can't do it. <laughs> it's hard for me. <clears throat> and that may be my sin. I don't know. But, you know, you, you just wonder sometimes if those people who claim, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, are they really? You know, God says in the Scripture, you'll know them by their works. Well, I can look at some of these people and I say, no, no, they don't even care. Okay, anything else? Any other? I think I thank you for that comment, Richard. Appreciate it. And you, Jeff. Anything else? Anybody? Okay. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you, Lord, for uh, giving us your word that we can understand and know what you have for us. God, we may not know everything uh, your will has for us. We may not know it right now. But, Lord, we, we seek to find out the truth. We want to know what you have for us. God, if you'll show us, that, that would be just great. Father, we pray tonight. We just ask for blessing upon uh, this gathering house. We pray, Father, that you would bless this local church body, Pastor Joe and Cammy not only for the ministry, but in their personal lives. For each person who are members here who come into this building, Father, we pray that if they don't know you, if they have never, by grace, through faith, called upon your name and believed the gospel, God, we lift them up to you that you would just deal with their hearts. We thank you and we praise you for all that you've given us, for your salvation, for your son Jesus, and all that you've blessed us with. And in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Thank you. Hey, we got out early.